I'm going to go ahead and dismiss our kids for Children's Church. So kiddos, kindergarten through third grade, head on back to the back corner back there, and then we'll bring them back before service um, is over. Um, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth. During this Advent series, we are walking chapter by chapter through the book of Ruth. We'll be in Ruth chapter 2 this morning, and I encourage you um, to follow along with us. We have a devotional that we're going through each day. I think there might be one physical copy left over there. If not, we can get you the link um, for the e-copy for that. I really want to encourage you to walk through that with yourself or with your family. It's just a really great short devotional with a song at the end. It's an important time, I think, for you as your family to sit and reflect and remember um, all that God is doing as we walk through um, the book of Ruth. Now, this morning we're going to look at God's loving kindness on display. What I think we look at chapter 2, what I think what the author of Ruth wants us to see is that he wants us to see there are things that are happening in the life of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz that the author is wanting to make sure that we take notice of. There are phrases, there are ways that he's introducing things that wants what, what seems like an ordinary kind of everyday story that the author of Ruth is wanting to kind of shine a spotlight on a few things. Namely, I believe God's loving kindness. We've talked about it a lot recently, but the hesed of God, the, the steadfast loving kindness of God. And I think the author wants to put that on display here in Ruth chapter 2. If you want to follow along with me from Ruth chapter 2. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Actually, we're going to start. I think it's important for us to set up the context of what happened last um, so we know where we're at this morning. So we're going to start actually in chapter 1 in verse 21 and then read through chapter 2. So Ruth chapter 1, verse 21. This is Naomi speaking, saying, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to this young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in, in, in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eye be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. 
the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed this young man saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought it out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living, it is active, that it cuts to the very deepest parts of us, exposing all that we need to know about ourselves, all that we need to know about you. And God, we thank you for your spirit that you give to us to help us to understand your word and rightly apply it to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What well, is the Christmas season? And one of my wife's favorite things about the Christmas season is the GFS frozen Christmas cookies. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They come out once a year. I'm seeing you shake your head. They come in a rectangle box. They're a very hot commodity at GFS. She loves those cookies. And so about a week and a half ago, I was tasked with going to GFS to pick up those cookies. And I walk into the store and I'm wandering a little bit around the store and not quite sure where the cookies are at. I find a worker and I ask him, can you tell me where the, before I even finish my sentence, he says, down on the left. He was very aggravated with me. I could tell. Didn't even let me finish my sentence, pointed me to where they were. I grabbed the cookies. I walked by him again and jokingly said, maybe you should put the directions to the cookies on the back of your shirt so no one has to ask you. And then very aggravated said to me, I've put signs all over the store, sir. And as I've walked through the store, there are dozens of green signs all over the store telling exactly where the cookies are, including the entrance to the GFS. Big green signs that basically said, don't ask Steve or whatever his name was, here's where to go to find these cookies. And so it was very obvious to others, it was very obvious to this worker, he had done a lot of work to ensure that he wouldn't be bothered a hundred times a day asked, being asked that same question. But I didn't take notice of anything that was obvious to others. 
I didn't take notice at all to the hard work he had put into making those signs, to putting them up all over the store. I didn't take notice of all the other people who had boxes and boxes of cookies in their cart and where they were coming from. I was just focused on me finding the cookies. And in this passage of Scripture, again, as I said earlier, I think the author is wanting us to take notice of some things. Some things that I think we too easily overlook in our own lives. Some kind of mundane, seemingly normal flow of life that we don't always take notice of the immaculate work that God is doing in our lives and through our lives for the sake of His glory. What I want us to see in all this passage of Scripture this morning is God's loving kindness is on display. And in a way that if you even just take half a glance, you will notice abundantly where God is revealing himself through Ruth and through Boaz and through Naomi and through their circumstances. And as we walk through this passage of Scripture, I want us to remember the context of the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth opens with, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine. So remember the context in the book of Judges, and the book of Judges ends with everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. So the context, the the setting that Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and others are living their regular normal life is in a setting when everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And I love how the author of Ruth makes that the very first statement in the book of Ruth is everyone was doing right in their own eyes, and then spends the rest of the book saying, except a few. There were a few who were remaining faithful. There were a few who were still obeying their God. There were a few who were still trusting God. And so the author of Ruth wants to shout to us in the midst of when everybody else is doing what is right in their own eyes, there is a few who are remaining faithful. In Ruth chapter 2, we see what was empty in chapter 1 becomes full. God is restoring what was lost. He's blessing faithfulness. He's putting his covenant love on display. In this passage in Ruth 2, we can see how overwhelmingly generous God is towards those who trust him. In many ways, chapter 2 is the mirror image of chapter 1. What happens in chapter 1 is restored and refreshed and redeemed in chapter 2. Chapter 1 ends on a down note, doesn't it? Naomi comes back and said, I went away full, I came back empty. Chapter 2 opens on a very full note. The harvest is here. What I want to share with you is three things from this morning from Ruth chapter 2. I want to share with you that God's loving kindness is always at work. God's loving kindness is always at work, number one. Number two, God's loving kindness always blesses abundantly. God's loving kindness always blesses abundantly. And then finally this morning, God's loving kindness always brings lasting change. That God's loving kindness always brings lasting change. Number one, God's loving kindness is always at work. Look with me again at the first few verses of chapter 2. It starts with this. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Let's be honest, in the flow of the story, there's no reason for the author to put that there. 
that doesn't carry the story along. It's not the next thing that's being said. It's not the next thing that's being done. The author is saying very clearly to you, I want you to take notice of something. Something is about to happen. Something unique, something wonderful is about to happen in chapter 2. He's setting the reader up to pay attention to what's happening next. But I want us to give just a little bit of background before we jump into this. As we talk this, this lot about um, Ruth saying, I'm going to go and find someone who will be kind to me and I will glean in their fields. Well, where does that practice come from? Where did that even come into Ruth's mind to be able to do a thing like that? Well, that came all the way back from the book of Leviticus, that God in his loving kindness and his graciousness wanted to care for the foreigner, for the widow, for the outsider, and to make sure that his grace was shown to all people, that everyone was provided for. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. God says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So this had been set up years and years and years before, that this was a tradition, this was a law, an expectation of God's people to harvest their field, but to leave the edges for those who were poor and for those who were foreigners to be able to eat as well. And this is where our story picks up. We see in verse 2, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after whom and whose sight I shall find favor. And she said, go, my daughter. So Ruth is basically saying, I'm going to go to a field. I'm going to ask humbly, and whoever says yes, I will glean in their field. Picks up in verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. In the beginning of verse 4, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. What we see at this passage of Scripture is that God's loving kindness is always at work. God is always working out the details. God is always working so that His plan is coming to fruition. Again, at the beginning of this, this seems mundane. This seems normal. Ruth and Naomi come back to Bethlehem. They have nothing. They've lost their husbands. They've lost everything. They come back to Bethlehem, and they know the only way we're going to eat is the scraps of other people. That's the only way we're going to survive. God has set up this system where we can have some scraps to be able to survive. That's the only way we're going to eat. And in Ruth's mind, having heard this, I'm assuming from Naomi, from her husband, from Elimelech over the years about God's law, goes to Naomi and said, I'm going to go to a field, any field, and whoever is kind to me, I will glean in that field. I love how the author of Ruth says in verse 3, to draw our attention so clearly to what God is doing. Read again with me verse 3. She set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Why is that important? Because the author just told us in verse 1, there was a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. And in verse 3, she just happens to come to this man's field. Did she just happen to come to this field? Of course not. 
Was God leading and directing her to come to this particular field at this particular time? Of course he was, because God's plans and God's purposes are doing something miraculous in this book. God just doesn't so happen to do anything. Anything in our life doesn't so happens. God is directing and moving in our life so his purposes are unfolded in our life so that we can guarantee our good and his glory at the end of all things. What we're seeing in the book of Ruth is a a bird's eye view of what God is doing. Did Ruth in this moment have any clue what God was doing? All she knew was, I'm hungry, there's a way for me to get food, so I'm going to do what God tells me to do and go to a field and find food in this field. She had no clue what God was doing. But in our uh, great opportunity, we get to look backwards, and we get to see in this, and the author tells us, watch out for this guy Boaz, he's going to pop up in this story, we need to pay attention to this, and we get to see all that God is doing in this story. One of the commentators, as I was preparing for this, um, said this really great phrase, that we're not always aware of God's purposes, but we can always be aware of God's presence. We may not always know what God is doing. We may not always be aware of all of the thousands of ways that God is working out these details in our life. Ruth had no clue. For Ruth's assumption was, I'm going to die a single woman with my mother-in-law. That was her plan. That was her expectation of life. She had nothing beyond that. She couldn't even fathom all that God was doing in her life. But she knew God was with her. And she knew that God was calling her to be obedient in certain things, to go and find food in this place, and to provide for her mother-in-law. And so she was obedient in those small things. All the while, God is doing something miraculous and huge. What we see in this passage of Scripture, as we see all the ways that God is working, one, what did Naomi say at the end of chapter one? I have nothing. I have nothing. God has taken everything from me. I have nothing for myself. I have nothing to offer you, Ruth. I have nothing. How does chapter 2 open? She has something. There is a relative of hers. And not only a relative of hers, but a worthy relative of hers. Why is that significant? Where is the setting for our book of Ruth? In a time when everyone was doing right in their own eyes, there is a man named Boaz who was a worthy man who was still following hard after God. And Ruth so happens to come to this man's fields of all the fields she could have come into, of all of the fields who would have run her off, of all of the fields that would have taken advantage of her, of all of the fields that would have done horrible things to her, she happens to come to Boaz's field, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. God is doing miraculous things here. We're seeing in Ruth so far that God brings famine. God brings harvest. God brought Ruth from Moab. God brought Boaz from Bethlehem at this particular time. God is doing all kinds of things out of his loving kindness. And we miss, I think often, We miss all of the things that God is doing in the everyday normal of life. Again, Ruth wasn't expecting something miraculous. She didn't go out that day saying, God, you've got to do something miraculous. I need a husband. I need one now. You've got to figure this out. All she knew was, I'm hungry. My mother-in-law is hungry. We need food. But God is doing something miraculous. And I really believe in my heart that God works way more often 
in the mundane than he does in the magnificent. And I want to be clear this morning that it's no less magnificent when God works through the mundane. It's no less spectacular when God pays attention to us and is working out details in our life and the normal, everyday flow of life. Who are we that God would be mindful of us? Who are we that God would care about the details of our lives? Who am I that God would pay, would pay special attention to my life and my decisions and my choices and my schedule and my friendships and my money and all of those things? Who am I? But God in His grace and in His mercy and in His loving kindness cares about the details of our lives and are working out those details in our lives so often that we walk away and say, it just so happened this worked out this way. When God is saying, no, no, I've been working for thousands and thousands of years to work out for this particular thing to show my loving kindness to you. I think so often we are, are waiting for God to do something miraculous, something supernatural, something that can't be missed, when all along there are green signs throughout our life telling us exactly what God is doing. It's a great song um, by a band called Beautiful Eulogy, the song called Signs and Symbols, and it write, they write this in this song. It's a hip-hop rap song. I'm going to save you the trouble of not performing it, so I will read it as only this guy can read it. It says, it's boring when my life is more like the book of Ruth than Exodus. I've never seen the parting of an ocean or a cloud by day or pillar by night, just a normal everyday working of life, where things that suck royally is evidence of his royalty. Scratch your temple so deep it's simple. Silly us, ignore the plain. We prefer a riddle dying to see a miracle while holding God's diary looking for signs. I think there's many of us that are just sitting back and waiting for something miraculous and huge, and if we don't see this, then our faith kind of crumbles, our trust kind of wanes in that moment because God is not doing something big and miraculous. When all along, He's working out the details of our lives for His good and our glory. All along, bringing famine, bringing Elimelech and, and, and Naomi to Moab and finding these particular women and doing all that was necessary for Ruth's eyes to be open to the truth of Yahweh, to give her life to Yahweh, to come back at the time of harvest, to, to, to know the laws of Leviticus, to be able to say, here's an option for us to eat, to just so happen to come to Boaz's field, who happened to be a worthy man, who happened to be a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. God is doing miraculous things in the mundane of our life. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 10 says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. There's many of us right now who are, feel like we're walking in darkness. We feel like we're walking without light. We feel like God is there. We know he's, but we have no clue where we're going. No idea what God is doing next. No idea what God is calling us to next. That we're praying for a certain thing that just isn't happening, that God is not, doesn't seem to be responding to. Ruth is telling us, Isaiah is telling us, though we may not see the huge hand of God at work, we trust, we obey, we rest in the reality that God is present with us and working everything out. 
Psalm 139 and verse 16 it says, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and the book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God has seen your life and has laid out a unique purpose and plan for your life, and much of it is mundane and boring. Much of it is just the normal of everyday life. But God is magnificently, wonderfully working through all of those things because he cares for you, because he will not see his promise fail. Matthew 10 even tells us, Jesus tells us that I know when sparrows fall, and aren't you more worthy, aren't you more valuable than a sparrow that has fallen? We may not be aware of all that God is doing, but we can be confident of his presence. We can be confident that his loving kindness is at work in all things, moving your story along for his glory and your good. Even if we don't see his purpose, we can trust in his presence. Ruth and Naomi and Boaz had no clue what God was doing. They were just going about their normal life. But God was doing something miraculous to bring Ruth and Boaz together so that eventually our Messiah would come. What an amazing truth that we see there. Number two, God's loving kindness always blesses abundantly. Always blesses abundantly. Exodus 34, 6, we're reminded again when God is giving his name about who he is to Moses. He says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Our God is a God who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness overwhelmingly wants to bless his people, overwhelmingly wants to show grace to his people. Again, remind ourselves at the end of chapter 1, Ruth says, I went away full and came back empty. Moab in Moab, Elimelech and Naomi were looking for companionship. They were looking for protection. They were looking for refreshment in a way that was apart from God's blessing, and they came back empty-handed. But we see in chapter 2, something unique is happening to those who are trusting in God. Look with me in verses 8 and 9. Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Again, Elimelech and Naomi go to Moab to find companionship, to find protection, to find refreshment apart from the will of God, and they come back empty-handed. Ruth goes to Bethlehem, trusting in God, and what does she find in Bethlehem? Companionship and protection and refreshment. She finds other women who can walk with her. Who was Ruth going to glean with? Herself. Completely new, completely strange, a foreigner to the area, stepping into these traditions that were not her own, going alone into the harvest field. What does God provide for her? Other women to come around her to say, this is how we do it. This is how I can help you. I can walk with you through all of this. What else does Boaz say? Don't go to other places. I can't protect you over there. There are men who are bad over there who will take advantage of you. Do not go there. Stay here, and I will make sure that you are protected. What else does he say to this foreign woman who he's never met before? 
my servants, my men will give you drink whenever you're thirsty. That's a ridiculously kind and gracious thing for Boaz to say to Ruth. She has not done anything to deserve this. She's a Moabite woman from Moab. And, and Boaz is providing all of these things for her, abundantly giving to Ruth. Because she's placed her faith in God, God is abundantly blessing and providing for her. Look with me in verses 14 to 18. I won't read them again, but Boaz says this again. She's gleaned for the day. She's worked hard for the day. And at mealtime, Boaz comes and says, again, things she does not deserve. A foreigner, a stranger coming in uh, uh, to the, the edges of the land, Boaz says, come and eat. Come and eat with me. Share bread with me. Share roasted grain with me. And I think it's very important to us to see in verse 14. And she ate until she was satisfied. And then the verse goes on to say, and she also had leftovers. What an abundant grace of God. Naomi goes back full, comes back empty. Because she was trusting in other gods, trusting in another plan. Ruth goes in empty and comes back overwhelmingly full. That not only was she satisfied, but had leftovers for others. Not only we go there that Boaz tells her, listen, you can have the edge of this, but tells his workers, tells his other men there, I want you to drop stuff as you go along. I want you to make as, as easy on her as possible. Take what you've already gathered, take some of that out, and drop it for her to pick it up. As you're going along, intentionally drop others so she can come behind you and gather these things up. So much so, it says that she gathered up an ephah of barley. Now, we all know what an ephah is, right? We all had an ephah a cup of coffee this morning, about an ephah's worth of coffee this morning. No, we didn't. An ephah probably was about 30 pounds of barley. She was coming to get the scraps. She was coming to get the leftovers, to get what was probably in her mind enough for one meal, enough for that day to not be hungry. What does God provide for her? 30 pounds of barley. I can only imagine Ruth at the end of a, a really hard day picking up a 30-pound bag of barley, putting on top of that the leftovers from her meal, and taking that back to her mother-in-law. And to see, I can only imagine Naomi seeing Ruth coming and imagining, what in the world? You went away empty, and you are coming overwhelmed, so much so you can barely carry the blessings of God. And this is what God does for His people. This is the grace that he shows to us. This is the, the mercy, the loving kindness that he gives to us. This is our God. This is who we serve, the one who overwhelmingly blesses his people. When we come to God empty, he fills us to the fullest. And this is the key difference in Naomi and Ruth in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Naomi went away full and proud, didn't she? She went away, I have everything, I'm going to this place to protect. She went away full and proud and came back empty. Ruth went empty, humbly saying, I'm trusting God for this. I'm going to go, hopefully somebody shows kindness to me. Hopefully I can come back with enough scraps to be able to have food for the day. And she comes back overwhelmingly blessed. This is what God calls us to. To come to him empty-handed. To come to him with nothing. To come to him humbly saying, God, I don't deserve this, but if you would show kindness to me, I could use this. And God overwhelmingly shows us kindness. 
Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, that when we come to Christ, the Apostle Paul tells us he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is the abundance of the grace of God. Paul goes on to pray in Ephesians chapter 3, that we would know certain things, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. This is what he desires for us. This is who he is to us. God is not a stingy God. God is not a miser. God does not withhold any good thing from his children. God overwhelmingly gives to us. God's loving kindness is abundant to us. This is the God that we serve. I think too many of us see God as the one who just just gives us just enough. Just enough to get by, just enough for us to stop bothering him, just enough for us to to distract us for a moment, that this is the kind of God that we serve. That is not the God as revealed in Ruth. That is not the God as revealed in any of the scriptures. That God is a God who gives abundantly, graciously, overwhelmingly to his children out of his loving kindness. Number three, we see that God's loving kindness also always brings lasting change. It always brings lasting change. What we're to take notice of in Ruth chapter 2 is that because of their faith in God, Boaz and Ruth stand out above other people. There, there, There are people who are to take notice of, again, in a land where everyone was doing right in their own eyes, Ruth and Boaz, because of their faith in God, stood out among other people. What we see in Ruth chapter 2 is that faith is being worked out in everyday life. Again, the normal outworking of life, trust in God is being worked out. And God's faithfulness and his loving kindness is on display as he blesses people. People change and become a blessing to others. We see in this passage that Ruth is humble. She's thankful. She's kind. The Boaz is generous and intentional, and loving, and the author in both of those instances tie those character traits to their trust in Yahweh. It is not that they're good people in and of themselves. It is that they are good, moral people. They are people who are honoring God because they know God, because they have placed their faith in Him. We read in chapter, or chapter 2, verse 4, again, the normal every day of life. What's the context? Everybody was doing right in their own eyes. How does Boaz start every day at work? Verse 4 says, And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Why did they respond, The Lord bless you? Because the previous 400 days, Boaz has shown up and he has said to them, The Lord be with you. When everyone was doing right in their own eyes, the faith that Boaz had in God transformed him in such a way that he was going to make sure that the day started out trusting God. The day started out recognizing God's worth, recognizing that the harvest was from God. It was God who was providing this. Just the everyday working of life. You see in verse 10, Boaz is kind to Ruth. And shows all of this favor to her in verse 10. Her response, why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. Ruth has been changed because of her faith in God. There is a humility to Ruth. I don't deserve for you to show kindness to me. 
I don't deserve for you to pay any attention to me whatsoever. I kind of frankly deserve for I to be shooed out of your field, but you have shown me overwhelming kindness, the humility that we see in Ruth. We see in verse 11, why have you shown this to me? Boaz's response, I've heard about you. I've not met you yet. I didn't know who you were, but I've heard about you. It has been fully told to me how you left your father's land, how you, how you came to this people who were not your own. And then in verse 12, the key to this, it says, I have heard that the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz is tying Ruth's character to her faith. Because she has trusted in God, God is changing her. God is causing her to live out her faith in a way that people take notice. In a way that when everyone was doing right in their own eyes, Ruth was trusting in God. We see again that you comforted me, you spoke kindly to me, I'm not one of your servants. That Ruth is saying and responding with humility in here, I don't deserve to be treated this way. I am a foreigner, I am outside of your people. I've trusted in God and God is blessing. And so her heart is being changed to follow after God. And we see at the end of this chapter, when she comes back to Naomi, Naomi says, it is blessed is the man who has taken notice of you. You see, in multiple occasions in Ruth chapter 2, this phrase, took notice of, or even one instance the author says, behold, like there are things that the author wants us to pause and say, oh wait, what's happening here? What is God doing here in this particular moment? And what we're seeing in the life of Ruth and Boaz is that their faith is being exposed. They are trusting in God. That the blessing extends to Ruth and to Boaz and to others. The blessing extends to us and through us to others. When we place our faith in Christ, when we place our faith in God, we are changed. Our attitudes change. Our perspectives change. Our values change. Our actions change. And it changes in such a way that others take notice. Godly character, godly trust, and rest in the purposes of God, and others take notice of this. And this is what we are called to do, to trust in God in such a way that others take notice. You see in Jeremiah 31, verse 33 in this new covenant, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. When we place our trust in God through Christ— He writes his law on our hearts. He gives us the Spirit in such a way that changes us from the inside out. In such a way that we are to be taken notice of. That we are like shining stars in a depraved generation, right? That we are are like the light on the top of a hill. That we are salt. That we do things in such a way and our good works shine in such a way that others take notice and give glory to God. This is the call of our life. That God is moving pieces in such a way for us to come to faith to him, to see his abundant blessing so that we can live our lives, our normal everyday lives, in thankfulness to God, in honoring God, and showing that it is him who has provided for us in a way that others take notice and will say, I want to know that God too. I want to know the God that has changed your life in this way. I want to know the God that you are trusting in when everything seems to be falling apart around you. I want to know the God that you are, are seeing blessing in your life. I want to know this God who has provided for you and cared for you. I want to know this God and under whose wings you have taken refuge. I want to know this God. This passage has been given to us to help us to take notice of something miraculous that is happening in an everyday interaction. 
in a normal outworking of life, God is doing something spectacular. And I want us to see this morning in our lives. You may look back at your life, you may look at your schedule and say, there's nothing exciting about my life whatsoever. I get up, I I eat the same breakfast, I go to the same office, I come home, I listen to the same music, I read the same things. It's just a normal, flow, boring, mundane life. But all the while, God is doing something magnificent, spectacular in your life. He's working in you to to, to will his his, his will in our lives, to shape us into the likeness of his son Jesus, to prepare for us a way that we can go home to be with him, to demonstrate his loving kindness to us over and over again. God is doing something miraculous. Don't miss it. We went to, again, Turkey a couple of months ago. And in Turkey, in Istanbul, it was one of the the big councils was brought together inside. The Council of Chalcedon. If you're familiar with that at all, I'm sure you all are, right? You just probably read a long book about it last night, so you came prepared this morning. The Council of Chalcedon happened in Istanbul. It's basically the council that said, God, Jesus is fully God and fully man. 100% God, 100% man, and established this as doctrine, as central to our faith, happening in Istanbul, Turkey. And we went on a scavenger hunt that day, and we were to find the specific place where that happened in Istanbul, which is a pretty spectacular thing, right? To find out this this huge thing that changed the direction of the church forever was, was, was signed, was brought together, was talked in this particular moment. But the thing about it is that nobody knows that this has happened. Nobody in the city really knows what this is. And there used to be a plaque high on a wall that says, this is the Council of Chalcedon in 451 or whenever it was signed. This is the place for that. And the plaque no longer exists. But there are thousands and thousands, literally thousands of people who are walking around that area at any given moment. Hundreds and hundreds of stores, coffee shops and dessert places and tea places and grocery store and clothing stores all over the place. Nobody notices that something spectacular happened at this very place. God's Spirit moved in such a way to be able to, to declare doctrine of who Jesus is so that we today can trust in who Jesus is as fully God and fully man. Nobody is taking notice of this spectacular thing. They're just going about their business. They're just grabbing coffee. They're just going to McDonald's. They're just walking to work, unaware of the spectacular thing that happened in their midst. And my challenge for us this morning as we leave this place is to not just go about our days. And it's easy to be tempted to just get back in your car, go to lunch, take your nap, watch your football, do whatever it is you're going to do today, and just forget that God is actively at work in your life. My challenge to us this morning as we close is for you to to go about your days asking God, give me eyes to see. Give me eyes to see in the normal of my life the spectacular things that you're doing, the blessings that you're giving to me, the ways that you're shaping me, the ways that you're protecting me, the ways that you are showing your presence with me. Give me eyes to see the abundant blessings that you are giving to me. Give me a heart of thankfulness. May we be a people who are regularly looking to God and saying, who are we? A foreigner. Who are we once far from you? Who are we once enemies of yours? Who are we who once hated you? 
to be brought into right relationship with you and given the amount of blessings that you have given to us. And may we be a people who recognize and see those blessings and give them to others as God has so graciously given to us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for Ruth too. We thank you, God, for the joy that you have given us in Christ, the blessings that you have given us in Christ, the the millions of ways that you are working in our lives. And so we pray, God, that we would have eyes to see, thankful, humble eyes to see how you're working in and through us to be a blessing not only to us, but to be a blessing to others to the very ends of the earth. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us for this last song.